this season turn it up to 10 Sort of like a bad habit, we gon' do it again Ready or not, we're gonna tie some ends Go tell a 36, try to grab all the friends We're back like we never left On track like a treble clef Skip a beat on the 7th rest Bring feast, we don't pass them over We got the first fruits, no way to show us This yoke is easy, this burns light Even with a loud mouth trying to eat at the mic Even if we down south, the humidity spike Bales torn in two, so we gon' be alright It's all grace till the half goes off Heretics better run till the top blows off Got them all stood still like a job full of Botox Time to break them down like a jaw on a blow pop Don't stop, they're in need of it though Through grace, by faith, they could easily grow New wave, new age, new way to see bro Now one truth, life, one way to the throne That's Christ alone, that's grace alone, that's faith alone All glory to God cause that's his alone Since the land's been slain we can each belong The Lord is my strength, my peace and my song And I'll lay it all down at the feet of his throne So relax, God is still in control He knows every care, every fear that you hold He knows every hair, every need for your soul Nothing new around here, this story's been told Bet you feel weak and your life is in tatters With bruised feet, your body is battered You can't reach trying to climb up that ladder Sit back and hold fast to Messiah matters it's all grace till the half goes off Heretics better run till the top blows off Got them all stood still like a jaw full of Botox Time to break them down like a jaw on a blow pop Don't stop, they're in need of it though Through grace by faith they could easily grow New wave, new age, new way to see bro Now one truth, life, one way to the throne Bet you feel weak and your life is in tatters With bruised feet, your body is battered You can't reach, trying to climb up that ladder Sit back and hold fast till Messiah matters I said was we're up to three shows a week three shows a week that's what I said and uh, the reason that we're up to show three shows a week is because we have Messiah Matters more we have Messiah Matters and we have Mystery Bible Theater 3000 now if you're not part of all three of those you should be and you can become part of all three of those by going to messiahmatters.com and then uh, yeah let's see here once you go to messiahmatters.com then you can, hang on, I'm trying to call, bring up my call letters here. Uh, there it is, messiahmatters.com. Boy, I'm all over the place today, aren't I? Uh, if you go to messiahmatters.com, you can become an associate producer. That'll give you access to Messiah Matters more, and uh, you will be able to see our other show, which is usually around 20 to 30 minutes, uh, and it's kind of a behind the scenes. Uh, usually what happens is we start talking about uh, pre preparing for this show, <clears throat> and somebody will say something. Usually Rob will say something, and then I'll just start recording 
and then we'll talk about it for about a half an hour. And that's the uh, that's the pre-show show. Messiah matters more. Yeah, sorry for the audio failure on my part. Sorry for the uh, yeah for just being all discombobulated. <clears throat> you can tell me all about it. Chegatorresource.com. C-H-E-G-G at Torresource.com. Hopefully ne- by next week, I'll have that changed. To Caleb at MessiahMatters.com. You can send it there too. It doesn't matter. I, both of them work. It doesn't really matter. Also, send us uh, a voicemail, 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. And last but not least, this show is produced by Tora Resource. Go to Tora Resource to find all sorts of stuff, including... I'll plug this now. We're going to be talking about my father, Tim Hegg, his uh, commentary on the book of Romans. And uh, if you have not picked up his commentary on the book of Romans, I would highly suggest doing so. I've uh, I've been in his commentary quite a bit this week, and it has uh, it's all it, it's always refreshing. It's always nice to go and uh, get back into his commentaries. I forget how excellent they are. So you can find those for sale on torresource.com. You can also find all sorts of other stuff. All right, Rob, how you doing, man? I'm doing very well. Thank you very much. Studying anything fun? I've I've got, well, I've got a, you know, SBL has a springtime online, um, what do you call it, conference, but it's virtual. Right. Yeah, so it's a virtual conference. So I have a, uh, and I, if I understand it correctly, this year you record like a 15-minute video of yourself giving the presentation, and then you upload it, and then at some point there will be discussion. So um, I'm putting together Thoughts? something for what, that. What are, you gonna, what are you thinking of presenting on? Well, I already have the idea. It's, it's a, uh, a rabbinic parable that's used or proverb that's used to interpret uh, a verse from the Psalms, and I'm arguing that um, the later rabbis are misunderstanding their own proverb. Um, and I'm looking at the, the, uh, it's, it's, uh, Oh, you got me on the spot. I think it's Psalm 20. Okay. It's like a verse from Psalm 20. And I argued that the original, the original proverb, which we that is used, it's not a biblical proverb used to explain the Psalm. Um, makes sense. But if you look at the medieval rabbinic commentators like Rashi and on, it's like they don't understand the proverb. And, I, and I'm and i going to argue that there's a better way to understand. I'm actually going to say, argue for a reading of the Talmud or way to understand this passage in the Talmud that's different than the rabbinic tradition. <laughs> so I'm going to say the later right. rabbis don't even under, don't understand the Talmudic uh, parable used to explain or proverb rather used to explain this particular verse of the Psalms. You just like um, stir the pot, don't you? That's what you are. You're yeah, a, you're a you know, pot stirrer. It's, it's, <laughs> All it's right. Fun. Fun it's, times. It's geeky. It's geeky. Other than that though, we, I would expect so nothing awesome. less from you, Rob. Uh, yeah. Well, we've got our, our Hebrew continue Hebrew reading class. We're reading in the, uh, the book of Daniel, Daniel, uh, Daniel nine and 10 this quarter. Uh, and, our advanced Greek we're reading in, we're continuing in James and wow, it's just, it's so awesome, you know, to be, uh, in the word of God like that, at that level, having really great discussions. I mean, you know how it, how great it is to, when you just have a, a quality Bible study in English language, right? I mean, think about how great that is. Um, and then when you, 
everybody's looking at the original language though that it it it's uh, next level yeah yeah it's, it it changes the type of questions we're asking you know sure. we're we're attending to stuff that the translators are wrestling with and uh and that's i mean that's where it's at that's the front line of of uh laboring in the word you know the way i see it Okay, we got a couple of things in the chat room that I want to uh, talk about. First of all, Tanner says, I spent four hours waiting on, at the doctor the other day. I'm sorry. So I decided to read through the book of Romans in one sitting. I highly recommend yeah. it. Yeah, I used to, uh, I used to walk nice. to work. <clears throat> I used to walk to work when we were down to uh, one car. It took me about an hour to walk to work. And uh, I would listen to as much of Romans as I could get through. And then on the way back, I'd listen to the rest of it. Um, and uh, yeah. I, I also highly recommend it. It actually, if you hear the whole book in one sitting or in large chunks, uh, it makes it really hard to actually break up the book because he's talking about things in chapter, you know, in the later chapters, he's referencing things that he's already talked about. And if you just take those slivers out, right. then it then it brings a different, uh, different uh, reading to it. Paul asks a question for Rob. He says, has Rob released his book on Jude? That is a good question. Oh, I'm oh, still my. waiting for that myself, actually. That's a negatory. Yeah, you should. I need mean, it's. Uh, if you would like to hang on, maybe, this maybe brings, what it'll be instead of a book, it'll be notes on Jude. So this uh, this brings something else that, up. That, that is, would be more pal. That would be something I could more palatable. <laughs> let go of. I could. You know what I mean? Because it's like a <laughs> like notes. You know what I mean? Rather than. Uh, a sit down, read it all the way through kind of thing. So, um, resources on Jude. Yeah. Um, this, but if you would like to read some of Rob's wonderful writing, then I would suggest going to messiahmatters.com. I just put up written articles the other day and, um, uh, there's, they're not all up there. I'm doing them bit by bit. And, uh, so, so, uh, Rob has, I think three up right now on the written articles section. And, uh, I think I have two or three and, uh, what I've done now, I've made this easy for everyone. What I've done is I've made it so that Rob's articles, the picture is the title with a blue background. My articles are the title with an orange background. So you can easily avoid my articles and just read Rob's. That's what we've done. You know, it's funny. One of these that I that uh, went out in the Torah Resource newsletter back in like I think it was back January or April of 2011, so like 12 years ago, and um, I could not, for the life of me, find it on any of my. I knew it existed. I couldn't find it on any computer. I couldn't find it on our server. All I could find was the, I, I have the old, like in my old email account where I had received the newsletter that had the link. <laughs> so it had like the first paragraph, click here. And of course we have changed servers, right? So right. this was on an old WordPress. So I emailed uh, one of our brothers there in Wyoming. Uh, 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 and, uh, and so I said, because I had an email from him. This is Mr. BC, you know who you are. Um, he had emailed me about it back in 2011. And I, so I emailed him and I said, Hey man, 
do you do you have my back? and he had two copies in pdf <laughs> one was a corrected like an updated corrected version and i'm like yes yes awesome and so i'm just like thank you uh mr bc that's so cool um I know who you're talking about. Because I thought it was gone forever. I was like, I have no idea where this is. But then I went back and I'm like, man, this is pretty not bad. Not shabby. <laughs> I love it when I do that. Every once in a while, I'll go back and I'll read something that I wrote. And I'm like, wow, I can't believe I wrote this. <laughs> well, I'm thinking, Caleb, I know we're, we're burning up a bunch of time on this and we don't need to. But I I, I might want to change the link titles, not, not change the document to make it something more clear. Basically, there's two articles that that we put out from Tor Resource that I wrote in 2011 that <clears throat> engage um, where I went through and took a bunch of uh, the Messianic Jewish cult, quote, uh, quote sages from like the 1800s, and I have all their big chunks of their Hebrew writing, and then I so the Hebrews in the end, and then I've translated it all, and then I'm interacting with their theology. And, and so there's two articles that I would encourage, encourage anybody who's looking at, you know, what they call the Messianic Jewish luminaries or sages. You've got to read these articles because you've got to understand that just because someone came from the rabbinic world and became a believer, which is a good thing um, in the 1800s or something, and just because they're writing a commentary on the New Testament in Hebrew, which is a good thing. That's not a bad thing. Sure, sure, sure. That doesn't mean that they have all their ducks in a row with respect to theology, right? They're still constrained by their time, by the limited resources, by um, their conflation of rabbinic tradition with the Word of God, all sorts of problems. And so, so what wait, I do wait, hang on. Let's, let's and get into that. Let's talk about that for a second. So okay. I think one of the biggest, um, and I think that... Okay. I'm, I'm trying, this, this is not in our, we did not prepare this. This is off the cuff. So this bear with us here. Improv. This is spontaneous. Yes, exactly. I think one of the biggest advancements in, uh, in studies for that should be, well, let's put it this way. I think one of the biggest advancements in scholarships should be for the messianic world. And one of the bigger uh, scholarly advancements in the past 20 to 30 years has been the understanding that we can't read rabbinical literature back into the first century. And the thing is, is that I don't think, I think that most, I think scholars are kind of like, yeah, okay, that makes sense, right? But but it's like the messianic world hasn't caught up yet. They haven't figured it, not only have they not figured it out, but they don't realize how much it impacts the, the, the writings of the messianics. And I'll give you, I mean, even within Christianity, if you look at like Lightfoot, Lightfoot did an entire commentary on reading the, uh, the, the New Testament through the, uh, through the Mishnah and the Talmud. I mean, he has a whole commentary on this. Unfortunately, now, what is that? What does it do for us? Is there any value in that? Well, we can see how Lightfoot is trying to interact with the with the rabbinic literature. However, essentially, his work is now dead in the water, in in that respect. And the reason why is because everything that he's saying, it comes from a false premise. And so, does that mean that Lightfoot in general needs to be thrown out? No, 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 no. Lightfoot has some great commentaries, and I use his commentaries from time to time. But his commentary, specifically trying to link those rabbinic uh, texts. I think that the advancement of our understanding of rabbinic literature and how it came about, I think that that is a, a sorely underestimated advancement in scholarship, and I think it's rather new. 
Yeah, it's it's so important. And the same point, the, the same issue, we don't have to look between, quote, Judaism and Christianity. We can just go to the Jewish world and, and look at the reception of the Zohar. Right. Um, was the Zohar written yes. in 13th century Spain, for the most part? Um, or is it as the, the ultra-Orthodox devotees, you know, believe that it's a revelation of Elijah to Shimon bar Yochai in the second century, right? So they read it back. It, they, they take a later document and push it back. And then you have people in the Messianic Jewish world who want to quote the Zohar. Then they'll take that and push it, <laughs> push it even further back. So they'll like, Hey, yeah, you, you, uh, ultra Orthodox who think the Zohar was revealed you know, to Shimon Bar Yochai in the second century, I'll even, uh, we Messianic Jews will even up you more. We'll push it even further back. Well, okay, but and, this is, imp I think that this is part of what's important for people to understand. The, the I think that there is specific motivation behind why they are trying to pre, like, date stuff earlier. And that motivation is authority. To them, yes. if it if it comes earlier, and this, this was my better. whole, yeah. yeah, early is better. And this is this was my whole argument with the whole notion of Hillel and Shammai. And, you know, there were some Messianics who just flipped out and said, oh, this is going to make such big ripples in the Messianic movement. It's like, no, it won't. I said the same thing five years ago. Nobody cared. People don't care what I say about like in the Messianic movement, people don't really care. Um, so which is fine. But the, the point simply is that Judaism wants to place things earlier so that they can get ahead of Christianity. We had it first. The That's Christians why are the Mishnah, is, they say it goes all the way back to Moses at Mount Sinai. Now, it's not in the written text. You only have it orally passed on from disciple or rabbi to disciple, right? From master to disciple all the way back in an unbroken chain. Right. Uh, it's like, okay, if that's, you know, that's what you want to go by. Uh, but Yeshua makes it clear. If you're a disciple of Yeshua, we, it's mandatory for us to separate the traditions of man from the word of God. Because the, it's the word of God is where we, is our source of purity. Right. Yes. Purity of heart, purity of thought comes from the word of God. But like that Lancaster article, you know, where it's like, oh, well, you know, I don't, it's not in the Bible, but we believe it because the sages say it. That's impure. That is, that is bringing into your heart, treasuring things in your heart and building on it. Things that are what Yeshua says, don't do that. Stop it. <laughs> Stop so, that. So two things uh, from the chat room. Bobby K says, uh, Jude jewels with Rob. That should be the name of your uh, your Jude notes. Hey, thank you, Bobby K. And Brandon. <laughs> if I use that, I'll give you credit. Brandon says, isn't earlier equals better the argument people give for using certain manuscripts? Um, yeah, it is. It's one, one argument. I mean, it's but one it's, argument. There's, there's all sorts of issues but they, uh, involved but there, with there's, text criticism. There, there is a difference between using textual criticism and saying this manuscript is earlier and having a concept and saying we had it first with no evidence. The Jews don't right. have any manuscripts. They're not saying we have a manuscript that goes back to the second century that clearly holds the, uh, the, the Zohar. What they have right. is they have concepts and they say, ah, ha, 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 look, we, what we have goes back before the Christians and therefore we had it first. But there's no, there's no evidence of that truth. Now, if all of a sudden, uh, you know, uh, Judaisms 
whatever you want to say, if there were uh, high faluting rabbis in, in Israel that uh, all of a sudden said, hey, look, we do have a first century document and it has, you know, this passage, this huge passage from the Zohar. Well, obviously that would have to be taken, be taken into consideration, but no such document will ever come forward because the Zohar, what the documents that Rob is talking about are 13th century. Well, I mean, that's when it was written. Our earliest, I think we might have some 14, most of this stuff is like 15th century right. and, and newer than that. But they play, they kind of place it down to the writings of Moshe de Leon and, and certain uh, Spanish Kabbalistic circles. I mean, ultimately, why does why does Judaism want to do that? Why does Judy, the Judaisms want to do that? Why do they want to place it? And the reason why is because they're right. Earlier is better. If you have early tradition from Moses, you're going to take it over and above uh, late tradition of ten, you know, of of a thousand years later from you know uh, followers of of his Torah. It, it's like this, okay? In 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 Yeshua discipleship communities, if you want to call it that, right? We, we are disciples of Yeshua. We're followers of Yeshua that affirm the canon. We still, and we seek to understand the scriptures in the original languages. We understand that all translations are interpretive, that they are uh, presentations or approximations. But it doesn't mean we we hate on translators. It's a tough job, and and we appreciate and are thankful that the Lord raises up uh, people to do that kind of work. Um, it's another important aspect. Just like we are, uh, the Lord raises up missionaries who go out into difficult situations to to spread the news. Um, where was I going with that? Um, Okay, so in, in, in this world, in the ecclesia, God pr provides teachers, right? It says that in the scripture, right? Some teachers, some evangelists, some preachers, etc. And that each should do so in, in good, wise, godly stewardship, right? In the giftings that you have, you want to be fruitful. You don't want, want to be like the guy who buries his talent, right? Talent meaning the, the gold coin you were given, but you want to go and trade and, and, and be faithful while the master's away, right? That's that's what this is about. And, and so in the ecclesia, we value teachers. However, if you go into the ultra-Orthodox or just Orthodox Jewish world, they value teachers too. So what's the difference? The difference is where you draw the line on authority. If And this is why we are sola scriptura. Right. And so for people who claim to to be uh, disciples of Yeshua, but they're not sola scriptura and they, they're happy to mix in their little cauldron or stew rabbinic stuff undiscerningly. And they just cherry pick to, to create new recipes to sell to the world. That's not a source of pure food for Yeshua's flock because they're just uh, picking and choosing, Right. And so Yeshua mandates that we separate the word of God from the traditions of man. And there is a core theological bedrock foundational principle or truth behind that mandate. 
It's because what you have to, we have to differentiate between what is revealed by God to us and what is not. And if I start blurring the lines and I just bring in and I sneak in and smuggle in all this stuff, that's, it doesn't have to be rabbinic. It could be from the Gnostics. It could be from the church fathers, Sufism, Buddhism, uh, you know, you know, whatever people do this kind of thing, create new age versions of like Christianity, Hinduism, right. You know, and they just make up this mix and then they present this new recipe to the world or this new menu of, of religion and it's syncretism. And I think that's what Kayla, what you're getting at when you say they're following after the Baalim, it's, it's just syncretism. It's, it's right. the way I think of it. It's like mixing. It's not pure. And the, and the question I, yeah. is, a disciple Yeshua, how important is the pure word of God to you? How important is the pure word of God to you and, and your soul in this life now? Because if that's a priority, then you need to be really sharp and really clear on differentiating what is the word of God and what is not. And if you have someone and you're just enjoying all this tickly ear stuff about Oh, you know, well, the Jewish mysticisms say this, and I studied with Chabad for 30 years and all this. You're not getting pure word of God. And I would say you probably, uh, that's why I say literature like that makes people stupider. It dumbs down the ecclesia. Now, does that mean that rabbinic sources have no value? No, I would not say that. Study it on its own terms. And if you're going to do it, learn the languages. Just like if I'm gonna, if I really want to study the I Ching, let's say, I think that's in Chinese, right? There's nothing wrong with with that from a historical perspective to appreciate a different culture. But if I'm just reading English translations, I'm only going to get so far. But if you learn, okay, I'm going to actually learn Chinese, and I'm going to go and then learn this this text, then you're actually bringing a a sound, comprehensive, rational uh, purpose to what you're doing. You're not just half-heartedly doing it. So anyway, I'll I'll stop talking now. Okay, we're going to actually move now. Thank you for that, but we're going to move to our topic because I don't think that we're going to get through the whole thing. And I do want to get to Romans and uh, Romans 6.15. But first we're going to... So this is going to be kind of a stretch of a lead-in. So this is going to be a stretch uh, to a lead-in, but we're going to do it anyway. So there's two comments that we got, and they're on a totally different subject, but one of them actually references the Ethiopian eunuch. And then uh, we get into the the question of law versus grace. So Eric asks this question. He asked this a long time ago. We're finally going to get to it. Eric says, in Deuteronomy uh, 23.1, rather. Okay, so let me start again. Eric says, in Deuteronomy 23.1, no castrated man might enter the assembly of the Lord. Then we jump to Acts 8, and the eunuch is now included. Okay, so this does not have to be a long conversation. We've actually talked about this before on our um, on our show. But uh, I'm going to, I will just say that I believe that this, and I got this interpretation from my father, um, who argues that uh, the assembly of the Lord means the uh, the leadership, the eldership of, of Israel. Um, so you, you wouldn't be able to be part of the, uh, yeah, governing, yeah, governing body or, or even, or even necessarily the, if there is a, uh, a call to hear what's going on in local communities and things like that, it's going to be, uh, a male, you know, someone who 
is is not doesn't have these defects in the same way that a priest. Sorry, Caleb. I know I'm just plowing over you here. No, a, no, the, go for it. A priest, a son of Aaron. Let's say he's you know, let's say he had, God forbid, his testicle smashed or he had some sort of injury. That that would disqualify him from serving um, as a as a priest. Now he would. It doesn't mean he's kicked out of the community. He still is a son recognized as a son of Aaron. He still will eats the same food. He still eats at the table with all the the priests. Right. His family isn't cut off or anything like that. So yeah, the the Egyptian eunuch. Uh, it's just a, it's not a um, those really. It's like apples and oranges. Um, he's a he would not ha- he's not in any position where he's uh, either speaking for a local uh, community representing you know them uh, in a in a council or in a larger legislative body or anything like that. How, well, how do we know? How do we know that this is? Uh, there's reasons that people would believe that this uh, this is the correct interpretation. For instance, a, a descendant of a Moabite is not allowed to enter the assembly of the Lord up to the tenth generation. However, we know. We know that people uh, who were of Moabite descent were allowed in the temple, right? Including Yeshua. Yeshua's not a Moabite, isn't? Oh, Ru- you mean you mean like way way back? Like, yeah. Like, uh, right? Okay, Ruth. Ruth was a Moabitess, right? Right. And so, I mean, we have the we have the descendants of a Moabite entering the. Well, in the, that case, so was David, the King David. A, Exactly, exactly. And so the, the point here is clearly the, uh, the interpretation of those who were around with a working temple was that uh, descendants of, Mo, of a Moabite were allowed into the temple complex, right? Uh, now, of course, arguments, don't get me wrong, arguments could be made on the, opposite, uh, on the opposite side of things, which would be, well, wasn't David part of the uh, leadership of Israel? And uh, so, I mean, there, there could certainly be uh, arguments the, the, on the other side. However, it seems clear that the Ethiopian is allowed in the temple as well. He goes to the temple and he is a eunuch. So um, this is why many believe that the, uh, to enter the assembly of the Lord means to enter the, uh, the eldership, the council of, the, of Israel. Okay, so with that down, we're going to check that as talked about. Uh, James then responds to one of our one of our videos, and this was on the Sabbath. How do we know that the How do you know that the uh, seventh day is Saturday? And uh, James takes this in a little bit different direction. He says this response doesn't dig in enough to what Paul is saying in Hebrews. Okay, we got a couple of things already going on. First of all, I know that some people still believe that Paul wrote Hebrews. I do not, and I think that uh, a lot of people. Uh, I think that most scholarship ha- agrees at this point that uh, no, not all. There are certainly still scholars who believe that Paul wrote Hebrews, but I would say that the majority of scholarship now uh, does not believe that Paul wrote Hebrews, and for good reason. Um, Anyway, suppose it's a Wednesday. I receive Jesus in the Holy Spirit, so I'm in Shabbat now on Wednesday. Do I now have my own personal calendar? I must keep taking a day off on Wednesday. So... um, let me let me try to um, explain how I'm understanding. The James's. answer is no. Yeah, exactly. And uh, no, what you what, are now done. I sorry, you you're now attuned. If you if you follow the ruach, you're now attuned to God's word. And right. And so you're going to go oh, and you're going to say oh, there's already believers before me, and I'm I so now I'm attuned to those communities. 
And, and now I go and I learn from the believers that have gone before me. And guess what? They're keeping the Shabbat. Well, here's, here's the, the point, is that I think it's a common argument for people uh, within many different realms of Christianity to say, well, we find our rest in, in Christ, and the true Sabbath is our rest in Christ. And therefore, we don't have to keep the shadow. The, the Sabbath was just a shadow of something. And my response to that is, yes, marriage is a shadow of the relationship of Christ and the church. That doesn't mean that we stop doing marriage, that we stop getting married because now we have the real thing. The fact right. of the and, matter- and it, in, in, Is it Colossians? It doesn't say was a shadow. It says is a shadow right. of things to come. And we see that also in the, um, in the epistle to the Hebrews. They are a shadow of good things to come. In other words, it's not, it, it, we celebrate them understanding that they are part of what God has for us in this world to keep us attuned to him. But we don't think, oh, now that I've kept the Shabbat this week, that now, you know, life is over. Yeah. So, so my so point maybe here the, is the question then, what does it mean to have rest in Messiah? Is that kind of what he's getting at? Is he asking kind of, a, is he pushing against that, um, that question? Well, what does it mean that someone has rest when they become born, born again. Well, he goes on and we can, I mean, okay. we, he says, uh, today, while it is called today, if you hear his voice, it's your Sabbath. You don't have to wait for another day to go to the temple to, for confirmation. In fact, if water is present, you can also be baptized right then and there, like the Ethiopian eunuch who wouldn't enter the temple, even if he was a Sabbath keeper and a God fearer. I'm not sure. Once again, I, I think that there are multiple uh, problems with with this comment. But well, I would ask this: Yeah, do, do do you have any accountability to Scripture? Like, if I'm born again on a Wednesday, does that mean I don't need the Bible ever again? I think that the bigger issue is the idea that people think that you can uh, that that once we get to the actual thing, that the shadow is done away with. Can anyone, yeah, I mean, can we, can we see that anywhere? Um, anyway, so I, I think that there is a huge disconnect here between the idea that we have rest in Christ and therefore the Sabbath, I mean, show me where it says in scripture, since we have rest in Christ, we don't have to keep the Sabbath anymore. That's what I would say. Um, okay. So that now leads us into our conversation on law versus grace. And this comes from our friend Lewis. He says, can one believe in the work of Christ and at the same time not believe what he taught? Or vice versa. I find that on one hand, at one end, I hear Torah and no gospel, which produces Torah terrorists. And on the other, perhaps a false grace. So... This is a really good comment. I think that the idea of Torah terrorists, I think that's true, is that there is an idea of, I, th I don't know if I, I, okay, let's roll back just a second here. I don't know if that it, it's that there's Torah with no grace. I, I think that that's the wrong way to think about it. Torah terrorists are, uh, are looking at Torah with no, possibly with no cross or, uh, Maybe grace is the right way to think about it, but the, and this is why I'm getting hung up on that is because I believe that the Torah is grace. So 
when we like the, the idea of of uh, pitting the Torah or the law of God against grace, I think is a misunderstanding of what it means to be under the law. People think that under the law, if you come from the perspective that under the law means having to keep the law. Accountable to God's word. Right. Then, <laughs> then you're going to have, have that pit against each other. Grace and under law are going to be pitted against each other. So grace How, means not accountable to God's word. <laughs> right. I mean, I think that that's... It is Obviously, funny, isn't it? It's, I mean, it, it, it sounds hilarious, but people, I mean, I used to believe that. So I'm laughing right. at my, I'm laughing at my, you know, 25 year old self here half my life ago, you know, right. I'm laughing at myself. So I, I mean, that was the logic. And now I didn't put it that succinctly, but it was, yeah, law and grace were pitted against each other in my world. And I, and I know different depending on, a, if you were even raised in a church, you know, that'll, you might have a variety of ways that that has been presented, or maybe you weren't raised in church at all. And you're coming to this later in life, you're going to, you might encounter different ways of putting this together. But I, I agree with you, Caleb, that, that, I mean, w one way to think of it really simply for me is I think of Yeshua's parable of the two, the two guys that go up to worship at the temple, right? One's a Pharisee and one is a publican or a tax collector. And they both pray, right? And then Yeshua says, okay, which, which one's justified? Which one left justified? And everybody, they're like, oh, you know, but Yeshua Ooh. says it's not the Pharisee, but it's the tax collector. Why? Because their prayers reflect their theology. The, if you look at the, in the Gospel of Luke, look at this, at this story and look really carefully at the content of the prayers of the two men. And what Yeshua is teaching there is that the words of their mouth presented in prayers to God reflect the, the theology of their heart. They both knew the Torah. So the issue is not the Pharisee is under the Torah, right, quote unquote, and the publicans not. They're both going to the temple. They both believe in the Torah. The difference is how they read the Torah. And the, the publican says, he won't even look up. He says, have mercy on me, a sinner. Right. And that's the Torah, because the Torah says, first and foremost, God is merciful and gracious and compassionate, abounding in, in uh, right, you know, all the things that we read about after the golden calf, when he reveals, uh, when he gives Moses the second tablets. And forgiving sin and iniquity and transgression is also part of the, his revealed name, his revealed character. So after the golden calf incident, Mo, uh, he tells Moshe, come on up. You're going to get two more tablets with the same exact words that I had on the other ones that you smashed. And I'm going to come by and you can't see me. You can't see my glory, but you'll see my goodness pass before you. And he declares all this. He talks about himself. And he says he's gracious. He's merciful. Compassionate. And that he forgives and he forgives sin. Right. That means sin's a, a human problem that has to be confessed. The Pharisee's prayer, back, go back to Yeshua, what Yeshua is teaching, the Pharisee's prayer doesn't seem to be informed at all by God's self-revelation in Exodus 34. It's all about his how great he is and what he does and how he's glad he's not like this other guy and all this kind of stuff. I don't. Who do I want to learn the Torah from? If I have these two guys are going to teach Torah, I'm going to go to the publican and learn Torah because he's the guy who at least has a 
accurate understanding of how God has revealed himself in the Torah of Moses. The Pharisees just going to just give me more mixture of tradition and, and God's word and kind of little nice little tickly ear things. That's that's right, because it's I mean, this, I think Torah, I, I, how we read the Torah matters. What we believe about God affects our our theology, affects our prayer life. Right. It has to because our theology reflects our walk. Yeah, so so two two things here. First of all, Jeff Rowe in the in the chat room says, if there was no grace in the Torah, then those before Yeshua had to earn their salvation. That's a great point. The other point goes back to what we talked about. What last last week was it? Last week, I think. Uh, do we really believe that the Torah is perfect? King David in in the Psalm in Psalm nineteen, he says, "The law of the Lord is perfect." And what I hear, yeah, yeah, what I hear many within the modern Christian church saying, not all, but many within the modern Christian church saying, is, "No, there was problems with the law." It wasn't perfect, and this is why Christ had to die. And what I would like to I would like to counter that by saying, no, the Torah is perfect, and it points to Christ. And this is exactly what what uh, Paul says. He says before before uh, the command came, right? He was dead to sin. He didn't know that there was like he didn't realize that he needed all this. He didn't realize that he needed grace. And then the then the command came. In other words, and then it, it was revealed to him that he was a sinner who needed Christ. Let's go to uh, the passage. Uh, read my comment carefully. If there was no grace in Torah, then those before Yeshua had to earn salvation. I agree with you. Oh, sorry. It was the person before who didn't read it correctly. Got it. Okay, uh, or after you. Okay, sorry. So let's go to Romans. Romans, uh, the the passage that is so commonly uh, so commonly uh, referred to is Romans six fifteen, and we'll read that first, and then we'll read context. Romans six fifteen says this: What then shall we sin because we are not under law? Here's our phrase: under law, but under grace. May it never be. Okay, so let's so get. Wait, Paul a, says we shouldn't sin. Are you yeah, telling exactly. me Paul says yeah. we should sin? This is this is uh, so right there. The fact that he is talking about not sinning says that there has to be law. There has to be law. Yeah, because he says elsewhere in, in Romans by by the law is knowledge of sin, and in right in chapter three and chapter seven, I would not known have known covetousness unless the Torah said thou shalt not covet. Right? He's talking. He's like, look, we need God. We, we are grateful for God's revelation. Because with that's light in the world. If 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 God didn't turn on the flashlight of the of His Word in the dark world, we'd just be bumping around, bump, stepping on each other's toes, falling in pits, even darker pits. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So let's let's go uh, to and the even text. Romans seven. The whole what doesn't He say the law is holy and the commandment is holy and holy, just right, and and good. Yeah. 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 Um, so, so let's let's read a little bit in, in Romans. Uh, I I actually I think that you can't. I I think that uh, you can't read this passage honestly and say that the Torah has been done away with because he keeps saying that we have to keep that we have to that we have to keep the law essentially. Okay, let's read it. So I'll start, let's see here in, let's start in 
6, 5, Romans 6, 5. For if we have uh, become united with him, that is Christ, in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has oh, died sure. is freed from sin. He's that freed he from sin. Who has, who has died in Christ. That is those who went to the cross with the Messiah. That's what's right. implied there. Yeah. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives for, to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore... Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. Well, if the Torah has been done away with and we're not under, and we don't have to obey the law anymore, then how would that make any sense that he says, don't sin anymore? Don't let, rain, don't, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Well, you I, not, I know one answer. They just say you go and you have to, you have to sift through the New Testament and find, find yeah, exactly. new, new commandments. Yeah, and anything well, and that's not repeated just, is over with. Just like our our brother who wrote the comment, James, who wrote the comment about the Sabbath, right? It's not a sin to not keep the Sabbath anymore because we're we don't have to keep the law anymore. See, but to me, the the people before before Christ dies on the cross, people like Moses, David, Abraham. Abraham is the model of faith in in Galatians three, right, and in Romans for that matter. He's the he's the person that 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 uh, Paul looks to as the model of faith, salvation by faith, and that he was because given grace because that's the the core terms of the covenant. Exactly, by which we have are are brought into the family is is established with Abraham. Anyway, keep going. But the but the point here is that you know I asked a follow up question to James. I said, "Do you believe that um, that I asked him about his his uh, his methodology in this in terms of do we then not have to keep the Sabbath because it's a shadow?" And then I also asked, "Do you believe that uh, that people like Abraham and Moses and uh, King David they weren't filled with the Holy Spirit?" And he said, no, they weren't filled with the Holy Spirit. That happened at Acts 2, right? So Ooh, there's wow. this notion that, which is really interesting because people are filled with the Holy Spirit in the apostolic in the New Testament before Christ is crucified, right? And how is that possible if no one before uh, Acts 2 is filled with the Holy Spirit? You know, I think this also, this could inform our, uh, a discussion on what is the new covenant. You know, my father's done some really good work on, on the new covenant, which you can find on Torah resource, but I'm starting to wonder if, uh, his, his f conclusion goes far enough. And the reason I say that is because as I look at the new covenant, what are the things that it talks about the new covenant? Well, the Torah will be written on the heart. Well, in Deuteronomy, it says that God will write the Torah on the heart. Of, of circumcise our hearts, yeah. Right, exactly. And so, it. I mean, there are all these different things. The only thing that I can find in the Jeremiah 31 passage that is new about the new covenant is that all Israel will have the Torah written on their heart. That Israel as a nation will come to faith in Christ. And I think that this is what Paul is talking about when he says, and then all Israel will be saved. 
He's, he's looking forward to the completion of the new covenant. And so when we see in Deuteronomy that the circumcision of the heart by God puts the Torah on our heart, I believe that this, in fact, is the new covenant. He's talking about the new covenant, but, the, but uh, when he enacts the new covenant for the entire nation, this is when we see the realization of the, of the Jeremiah 31 passage and Ezekiel for that matter, right? Ezekiel calls it something different, but it's clearly the same covenant. He calls it the covenant of peace, right? But it's clearly the new covenant that he's talking about. Okay. Um, anything else on this? So I, I want to go back real quick to my notes because I wrote down, I said, uh, we are dead in sin, not dead to the law. And we see that in Romans 6, 7. Sin is still a thing, which means law still applies. And I, I reference uh, 6, 12 through 13. Let's read the, and 16 for that matter. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as in instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Well, what's righteousness? Righteousness is keeping the law um, and obviously only with Christ, right? Our, our works are filthy regs before God if they're not done with the blood of Christ to back them up. Um, and then Romans 16, 16, 16, 16 rather says, do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves at one, of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. So he right there in 16 says that uh, righteousness that obedience uh, to uh, is to God results in righteousness, which is what I think it's keeping the Torah. So it's my it's my understanding that the Torah itself is uh, it, it brings forth grace because we have broken the law, yet we are still covenant members according to according to God through faith in Christ. Rob, am I missing anything there? No, I, it's it's right on. It's it's so important that we understand that what we are freed from. This is all. It reminds me also of uh, like Romans five one, for freedom Messiah has set you free. Well, people will say, oh, I was under the law. They this is how they kind of narrate their or give an account of their own um, uh, life. I was under the law, even though they were a pagan and never even read the Torah of Moses, right? I was under the law because God had all those rules and nobody can keep all those rules. And I've been freed and I had an obligation though, and that was a problem. So now I'm freed from that. I no longer have that obligation. It's like, whew, I'm so glad I don't, I don't have to, to, to be bound anymore. I, I'm free now to do whatever I want, apparently. But, but the passage you just read from Romans 6, or Romans 5, Romans 6 in there, is, no, you're freed from sin so that you are now able to serve God with all your heart. What it means is now you can actually fulfill the Torah, the greatest commandment of which Yeshua makes it plainly clear, the Shema, love God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And a second like it, love your neighbors yourself. And all the mitzvot are contingent upon that solid rock, or they all hang from that, or it all builds up from that rock or all dependent on, on that, however you characterize it. But the point is the greatest commandment is fulfillable 
only for those who have Yeshua's resurrection life, only those who actually um, are in Messiah. There's no, because it's coming from a renewed heart and, and it's, it's not coming from um, the, the old man. That's why in the Jewish world, all these traditions of men grow up around the word of God and really choke it out until, until there's more, most of the books of rabbinic literature are, are of the Jewish religion are not the Bible. Right. Right. Yeah. It's that's, the, the, that's the, important. The, it's the Talmud, right? The, the Shulchan Aruch. I mean, go, if you ever go to an Orthodox, uh, Beit Midrash or something like that, you, it's not books of, of the Tanakh everywhere. It's, Shelve after shelve after shelve of what is deemed as authoritative, which is right. the oral, the oral law, and what that is is a that emerges from hearts of religion that imagines um, the human and the human potential very differently than than disciples of Yeshua and how we are to understand ourselves right. and the nature of what is revelation and what is not is a core differentiation between one Torah theology and larger messianic Judaism slash Judaism's world. Well, what's your, I think what you're, you're I think what you're talking about actually is a very important point that the, the, uh, the books that we see from, uh, from, modern day Judaism come from a different starting point. They, they, there's not this idea of original sin has, has made mankind, uh, need grace. Rather it's that we have an, that we're good, that all souls are good and that, that we have an evil inclination. Right. Oh, like that Lancaster, uh, you, you just had a soul that came from God and, and then your memory of being with God is just wiped clean when you're born so that you have pure free will. You know, it's just, it's the most, but that's the thing. You, that's what you're going to get. You're going to get muddied, um, you know, you're, you're get you're getting impure food. Right. If, if, if you're consuming that kind of mixed stuff, like how do you, how do we differentiate between what's from God and what's not? How do we differentiate what's sin from what's not? If Paul says, I'm a slave to God now, and I, I can't let sin reign in my in my body, I better have a pretty good path towards a, a growing in wisdom and discernment as to what is sin and what is not. Otherwise, I'm otherwise he's leading people down a, a confusing road. So uh, let's let's shift real quick. Sean asks, can we deal with uh, possible objections? He's Ephesians 2.15, okay? So Ephesians 2.15, this is one of the two places um, that... Yeah, that, that, uh, is, that is the dogma. Right, exactly. One of the two places in the, in the apostolic scriptures where Paul uses the word dogma, which I have argued in my Colossians commentary, which you can find on pronomian.com. Um, I've argued... And I think that uh, Rob has argued this, as has my father argued this, that dogma always means man-made law. And we see this from, if you do a word search on dogma in the apostolic scriptures, you can see that the only other times out, that it's used outside of Paul, it's referring to man-made law. So he says, by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in, in dogma. 
Here's an example. A great example is the Acts 15 um, decree. Right. If you read, it says in, uh, I think it's in chap- early in chapter 16, where they're going around, it talks, it refers to it as a dogma. In other words, it's not new law. It is a, it is a instruction in real time to resolve a, a particular situation that was happening and a need that the, the communities had, but it does not replace the Torah, right? It doesn't replace the, the function of the written scripture in, in the ecclesia. Um, it's, it's a dogma. Now, if let's say some people, let's say just for fun's sake, let's say some community received the apostolic decree with those four prohibitions, let's say, and then they took it to India or, or China, right? And then they translated and they made a whole new religion just on these things, right? Oh, if you just do these things, you'll be right with God. Well, there's no mention of the gospel in the apostolic decree, right? There's no mention of like all sorts of things. So uh, that would be a problem, right? That would be a dogma becoming into a, a religious form or something. So yeah, that the so I think so it's in, the, like the, said, the Colossians point, Ephesians. The point here though is what is he talking about? I think that in that passage he's talking about people who are making uh, all these various commands, particularly in uh, conversion processes, right? To quote unquote become Jewish, we actually see or this how to language. worship God, right? Or the how to worship Colossians. The idea of- how to right. how to be properly humble or like you know and right. and what to touch and what not to touch and it's, right. it's all it says after the traditions of man right is in colossians i think it just he comes out and says it plainly so brandon asks about and we can get to other passages that seem to be uh seem to be uh problematic Brandon's uh, reference is John 7.39. It says, but, well, actually, let's read beforehand because I think it's important to get the context. In 7.37, he says, Now at the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from uh, his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. I agree completely completely that uh, that the Spirit had not yet been given in the way that it is given in Acts 2. But the question is, is how is the Spirit given in Acts 2? And I have argued in my Acts commentary, which you can find on pronomian.com, um, that, uh, that the Spirit is given in Acts 2 for a specific purpose. And this is to take the, the, uh, the, uh, the gospel message, the Abrahamic covenant, to the nations, which, he's, which he is speaking of here, right? Christ says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of, of living water. And so the point is that in Acts 2, the, the apostles are given the spirit to enable them to take the, the message out to the uh, Gentile nations. And I think that this is exactly what he's talking about. So I think that this passage actually aligns with, uh, with my view that the, uh, that the Spirit has always been a person who believes in the coming of Christ or a person who believed in, the, in, the Christ that, the, in Christ that has come and died is filled with the Holy Spirit in a different way than the enabling of the, uh, the filling of the Holy Spirit to enable somebody to do something which we see throughout yeah, Scripture. Yeah, exa- exactly. For exa- here, here's the point. 
post-resurrection, Yeshua, during the these 40 days of counting of the Omer, <clears throat> Yeshua is spending time with his disciples, teaching them right. about the kingdom of God. And then he leaves and he says, a week from now, right, or not many days from now, you'll receive power on high. Okay. Do you think that Peter, uh, when he was walking and talking with the resurrected Yeshua during the counting of the Omer, and then Peter on Shavuot and afterwards, that somehow the Peter afterwards is saved in a way that the Peter right. who was just walking with and learning and with the the resurrected Messiah was not saved? And we would say, no, no, the, the giving of the, the Spirit on Pentecost is not one of where all of a sudden the disciples got saved. Right. It's something different. And that's what, Caleb, you're getting at, is it, it has to do with mission and and, and empowerment for, for uh, a specific purpose of God whose time had come. And it wasn't going to be a day before that. It wasn't going to be day after that. It was going to be precisely on that day at Shavuot. And, and that's how God works. It's always precisely. It's like this week for those of us in the, the one-year Torah portion, it's, it's Shemot. It's, it's the burning bush. And Moses is eight, 80 years old. Well, it's like, man, why didn't God, you know, why did he wait till Moshe was 80? Well, he had 40 years in, in Egypt, 40 years as a shepherd, and it was time. And, so, and that's, that's, that time was determined by God, not by Moses' right. uh, good deeds or how, you know, how skilled he showed himself. And, and this is the same thing with the birth of Isaac, the same thing with Joseph in prison or, you know, all these things. It's, it's God's timing. So um, Brandon asks about 1 Corinthians 9, 20 through 21. Uh, you could also bring up passages such as uh, Galatians 3, Galatians 4, and what's Galatians the nine, 5. What's the... What's the <clears throat> well, hang on just a sec. We're, we're going we're gonna to cut it here because uh, I'm going to plug another book uh, again, and that is my father deals with uh, 1 Corinthians 9. He deals with uh, Galatians 1, 2, and 3, and every other use of under the law uh, in... Uh, the apostolic scriptures in his commentary on uh, Romans uh, 6.15. And so I would encourage you, you can get a PDF of it, or you can buy the physical book. You can find it on TorahResource.com under the store, go down to commentaries and the book of Romans. I'd encourage you to do that. Uh, you can read all of the uh, all of the explanations that my father gives for the occurrences of under the law, which uh, I think that he does... Uh, fantastic job of explaining uh, each one of these passages at in depth. And then, of course, through the, that explanation, he then goes to, <clears throat> I'm sorry, he then goes to uh, the Romans 6, 15 passage. So I will be uh, posting one of those, the one that is so uh, often brought up. I'll be posting one of those in the show notes. If you do, do not receive show notes, you can find them on uh, messiahmatters.com and uh, just go to Messiah Matters, hover over the show and then go down to show notes. But if you'd like them sent directly to your email, you can sign up for show notes on that page and they will be sent to your email address every single week on Thursday, the day after the show gets done. All right. Uh, for now, we are going to say thank you and goodbye. If you want to be a part of this conversation, you can send us all sorts of emails, including topics that you'd like us to talk about. See Hegg at Torresource.com. It's C-H-E-G-G -G at Torresource.com. 
You can also leave us a voicemail, 253-465-3205. And uh, yeah, we would love to hear from you and hear your suggestions. All right. Um, I'm going to say that that's going to do it for us. We hope that this conversation has done at least one thing. That is to glorify our great God and Savior. Why? You know why. Because Messiah matters. Why?